What Got You Here Won't Get You There. That's the title of a great book written back in about 2006 or 2007 by Marshall Goldsmith. You may have even read the book. In it, he has a key point that he makes, and that is that we tend to spend a lot of time trying to learn what to do as leaders or managers or supervisors, folks trying to influence other folks, by adding and adding and adding. We spend a lot of time teaching one another what to do, (laughs) but we don't spend enough time, maybe, We don't spend any time teaching one another what to stop. That's what I want to talk with you about today. Just stop it. (laughs) How about that? Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. This is a really nice-looking cigar. It is called a Nica Libra. This one is about, uh, I think it's a six and a half inch long cigar. It's box pressed and it's a Toro. So that means the end of it is shaped a little bit like a torpedo. And it's a dark, dark Maduro cigar. Super dark, almost black. It's so dark. Mm-hmm. It takes a hot minute for it to get going. And when it does... Perhaps it's because my humidor set it up perfectly this time. There we go. Oh, so much smoke. Mm-mm. I wish you were here. If you were here, I would. I have a couple of these. I think I got a, a five-pack of these. These were actually a gift. I've got some really generous friends and family, so these were a gift, and they were given to me a while ago. I think I'm down to only two of them. But if you were here, I'd share one of them with you. They're that good. I think you might really enjoy it. The Nica Libra cigar is a handmade cigar instead of a machine-made cigar. Some folks talk about it like it's a veritable candy cigar. That's what one reviewer said about it. The long fillers are Nicaraguan, and then the binder of the cigar is uh, Habano, which is, has, has a unique and nice taste to it. The wrapper is a San Andreas Maduro wrapper. If you are a cigar aficionado yourself, you'll know that that has a really nice taste to it. And in the beginning, when you start smoking a cigar, the first few minutes anyway, a large part of the flavor of the cigar comes from the wrapper itself. And then as it gets going and you're an inch or so into it, maybe two inches into it, then, it, uh, then you get all the the extra flavor of the rest of the tobaccos in there. This is a very rich cigar. It's not strong, it's rich. And the smoke itself is kind of silky and smooth. I like it a lot. It starts off with a hint of um, dark chocolate, perhaps, but then afterwards it has a little bit of a peppery aftertaste that lingers. Combination of those two flavors are one of my favorite cigars. Now, this looks like a cigar that would just knock you on your can because it's so dark, but it is beautifully constructed, and it's actually kind of mild. 
maybe even a medium-bodied cigar. I like it a lot. Mm -mm. And to pair with it today, since this has got several flavors in it, I decided to enjoy a simple, simple Japanese whiskey. This is called Suntory Whiskey Toki, T-O-K-I. I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly. It is a blend of Japanese whiskeys. So got a nice, simple, square bottle to it. And I'm going to pour it in a Norlin glass. There you go. And it'll be about a little less than a shot of that that'll stay with us while we're enjoying this conversation today. It's a very light colored whiskey, super light colored whiskey. It's a little thin on the palate. It does not have a major kick to it on that first sip. It is only 86 proof, but it's very, very simple, simple flavors. And that's kind of the theme of our conversation today. So we'll have a, a robust and rich cigar together with a simple Suntory whiskey as we get started. Mm, wish you were here. Mm -mm. So what got you here won't get you there. <laughs> uh, often in my conversations with leaders within my own enterprises, and then leaders that I get to support in their own enterprises, I'll end my conversations with them with these two questions. What are you going to do differently as a result of this conversation or this meeting? And then the second question I ask is, what are you going to stop doing? It was Lao Tzu, the Chinese philosopher who lived a long time ago, way before I was born, <laughs> 2,500 years ago, who said something like this, to attain knowledge, add something every day. But if you want to attain wisdom, subtract things every day. He might have been one of the first philosophers who talked about the concept of addition by subtraction. You might have even used that phrase or thought about it yourself. So let's talk about that today. Because you and I have very full, very busy lives with lots of demands and lots of dreams. We know that growth is good. Maybe we want more impact or we want more time. We want more productivity, more wisdom. I don't know, more deep friendships, more joy, more fun, more energy, more ideas. We want more. We'd like... To grow and we're surrounded by a lot of opportunities to just add and add and add to our lives. Growth is good, but first if we want to grow, we have to learn to prune. This, of course, applies mostly to those of us who are maturing in our leadership or maturing in our jobs. If we're brand new to a job and we've got nothing to do, <laughs> there's nothing to prune. But if you've been at this for a while, you've, you've probably got a lot of things that you could prune. Here's the basic idea of this podcast that I want to share with you. If you want to grow, prune first. Maybe it's time to, to prune off a little bit of the plant. Maybe you're struck by the Pareto principle that about 20% of your effort makes up for about 80% of the outcome. This is the 80-20 rule that he discovered years ago when he was looking at his own garden and realized that about 20% of the plants yielded about 80% of the fruit or of the beans it was actually that he saw the very first time. He was fascinated by that idea and so began to look at it in other places of life. And he looked at a lot of places in life and found this principle to be true. Not a law, of course, but it's a principle that most of the success, most of the output, most of the impact comes from a small bit of our investments. The 80-20 rule. It's kind of interesting. So we're going to talk today about the idea of pruning. 
There's something that flies in the face of pruning, though, and that's what I've called pathological optimism. <laughs> I don't know if that's you. Maybe you think that you can always add and add and add. Maybe you think that, oh yeah, I can cram a little bit more in here and cram a little bit more in there. And by adding, you grow. You get to a place where you realize that, ah, what happens is your life is so full, your calendar is so full, your commitments are so full that the only way to meet them is to start shrinking the quality. <laughs> to cram things in and drive faster and talk faster and cut people off and multitask. That's a myth. There's no such thing. But you try anyway. Perhaps you realize you're engaged in things that are of such significance that they're hard to measure their outcomes, that it's hard to measure their results. And so what will happen if you're a pathological optimist, and I have suffered from time to time from that malady, <laughs> is you start to measure and put all of your interest in the inputs rather than in the outputs or the results. Because it's easier to measure inputs than it is to measure outputs or results in some cases. You can, it's easier to measure shots at the basket than it is to measure baskets that go in, especially when you're shooting at baskets in the dark. <laughs> I don't know if that's you. That's me sometimes. I know it's generally over there. Just going to start throwing these basketballs in the general direction and listen. Ah, you know how that is. It's possible to hang around a bunch of people who are uh, really in love with the idea of inputs and uh, become so optimistic and only track inputs instead of tracking results. But that's what you and I are after, isn't it? Aren't we after impact? Aren't we after results? Ah, if we suffer from pathological optimism, one of the first indications of that, that serious disorder <laughs> is that we just keep adding and adding and adding, and we think that by adding, we'll get better. Well, I'm here to tell you well, actually, I'm here to remind you that the magic is in the margins and the margins exist because you pruned. Now, that's not really good for the economy if you live that way, by the way. If you're someone who prunes very much, you'll probably not be a very loyal consumer. <laughs> you'll not be someone who is adding to the velocity of our consumer economy. Ah, well, good news is, though, don't worry about this because um, you're probably going to be among the top 1% or 2% of people if you begin to master this skill. No one else around you masters this skill. People simply do not have the mental model that if you want to increase your impact first start by pruning. Well, you get the basic idea, but do you know how to do it? Let me give you some things that I've learned over time about this addition by subtraction. If you want to attain, well then prune first. What are a few things that I have learned? Let's start with the question, what can you prune? Begin by looking around at your day and your work and your work week, perhaps even a month or, or over a year, and ask what's working. Ask along with it what's not working. And if something is not working, I don't mean the first time you tried it, but it feels like you've been dragging this thing around behind you for weeks or months or years. Take inventory, look at what's working and what's not working in any arena of life, and then invest in what's working. Which means that in order to do that, you'll also need to prune. Well, what can you prune? Here are eight ideas about how to prune and what to prune. I'll go through them very quickly because this is a podcast. <laughs> you can actually back up and listen to it again if you didn't get what I said. Now, if you were seated right over there in the studio in one of those nice leather chairs enjoying some of this Suntory whiskey, 
and enjoying one of these Nica Libra cigars, I wouldn't go through these so quickly because it would be a conversation back and forth. But because it's not a back and forth conversation and because you have this amazing invention called the pause button on your phone or your or your iPad or however you're listening to this, I'm just going to go through these pretty quickly because I want, I want to prune <laughs> some of the amount of time it might take to do this if you and I were in a direct conversation. All right, let's get into it. Here are eight ideas around what to prune and how to prune. Let's start with the big one. Start by pruning the rules that you use. These are standards that you have. These are rules of engagement, if you want to think about it that way, that you have. These are not moral rules. Don't prune those. But these operational rules that you've got as you go through life and you have gathered them all up, prune these. Here's one of them. I have to finish what I start. An example of that might be you have a book. Someone recommended this book to you, and so you start to read it, and it just bores you to tears. <laughs> but I have to finish what I start. No, if you don't like the book, if you're not ready for what that book says, or if it's not written well, don't finish it. <laughs> you don't have to finish everything that you start. You're probably someone who's fairly driven. You're probably someone who is, because of the role that you're in, and because you listen to these podcasts, someone who's quite successful at getting things done, and you don't get things done by quitting. But this first rule is something you want to pay attention to. You do not have to finish everything you start. It's not like your grandmother is standing over you and saying you have to finish all the vegetables on your plate. No, you don't. You don't have to finish everything you start. Here's the second idea. Again, we're saying start with the rules that you use. And the second one of those rules that you use is that I've got to stick with the plan. That you spend a lot of time building a plan and you got to stick with that plan. Well, come on, get real. How many times have you ever made a plan that it's gone exactly as you expected. You don't have to stick with the plan. When reality hits the plan, pivot. Here's another rule that you might want to prune. I must have the newest fill in the blank. I have to have the newest iPhone. I have to have the newest car, the newest pair of boots. I have to have the newest idea. I have to have the newest computer. No, you don't. You don't have to have the newest. In fact, sometimes, let's get deep and philosophical here, sometimes the old stuff is a lot better than the new stuff. And by stuff, I also include wisdom and perspectives. You don't have to have all the newest fad. You don't. You don't. Well, I won't be relevant. You don't have to be relevant. <laughs> Here's the fourth one of these rules that you can prune. I must do it alone. <sighs> get rid of that rule. Prune that rule. If you think that asking for help is a sign of weakness... It's not. It's a sign of intelligence. You don't have to do it alone. Here's the fifth one. The thing that I'm doing has to be perfect. Ooh, careful. There's a couple of ways of thinking about perfection. One of them is a Greek way of thinking about perfection, which is all the parts are there. And another way of thinking about it is what we call the Latin way, old Latin way of thinking about perfection. And that means to meet some sort of standard. In fact, perfectionists are people who believe this, that everything has to be perfect because it reflects on who I am. No, it doesn't. It needs to be perfect in the Greek sense, in that old school way of thinking. All the parts are there. It's good enough. And once it's out in the world, it's going to grow and turn into something else. But it doesn't have to be perfect in the Latin sense against some sort of standard. It just needs to be perfect in the Greek sense. Are all the parts there? It hasn't matured yet. It hasn't been tested yet. Are all the parts there? So jettison the idea that it has to be perfect in that old school according to a standard 
standard sense. Most of the work you do doesn't have to be like that. Most of the work you do is just going to iterate and change and grow and morph as soon as it gets out into the world. Here's the sixth rule you can jettison, you can prune, you can chop this right off. Oh, I made a mistake. And then you pet the fur off of that mistake in hopes that if you just think about it long enough and ruminate over it long enough that you'll never make that mistake again. Well, stop it. Stop dwelling on mistakes of any size that you made. Recognize it. Raise your hand like the guy who fouls out on the court in basketball. Hey, yep, my foul. Learn a little bit from it. Give yourself a countdown. I'm going to think about this for 30 minutes. I'm going to think about this for a whole day if you feel like it was a big, horrible mistake. But then move on. Everyone makes mistakes. In fact, mistakes are incredibly valuable. Jettison the idea that, that you have to think or the rule that you have to just think and think and think and dwell on and ruminate over mistakes you've made. The seventh rule you can jettison is I equal what I do. Ooh, dump that rule quickly. You do not equal what you do. The eighth rule is I equal what I own. Now, most of you, or many of you, I probably know, and so you you probably, the ones I can think of right now who might be listening to this, and I, those of you who I do know, I don't think there's any of you who really suffer from this. But maybe deep down in your core you do. <laughs> I equal my new car. I equal my house. I equal my boat. I equal my motorcycle. I, I equal the building that I own. No, you don't. <laughs> That's really a rule you need to get rid of. Here's the ninth and the last rule that you might be using that you should get rid of. Here it is. I have to attend bad meetings. Just because the meeting is scheduled and I'm supposed to be a part of it, maybe I even lead it. I have to attend that bad meeting. Get rid of that rule. No, you do not have to attend that meeting. There's a corollary, by the the way, to that rule, and that is that I can't speak up if a meeting is bad and I'm not in charge. (laughs) Get rid of that rule. Of course you can. Hey, this is a bad meeting. We're wasting our time here. Let's get back on track or find some nicer way of saying it. But still, it's, it's... You don't have to stick around in a meeting. Okay, and and another corollary is, I have to stay in a bad meeting. Well, no, you don't. You can actually say, hey, uh, this meeting isn't going the way we had planned. We can change it, or I need to go on do something else. Or I have another commitment. It's time for me to go. You do not have to stay in a bad meeting. Those are corollaries that flow from that rule that I have to attend bad meetings. Good meetings are one of the most powerful tools that we have got. Bad meetings are awful. They are incredible waste of time. All right, there you go. There's nine rules you may be using that you probably should just prune out of your life right here and right now. So that's number one. Start with rules that you use and prune those rules. Hopefully, as I was talking, you could think of other rules that you might be using that are worthy of pruning. Chop them off, throw them in the brush pile. (laughs) All right, number two under what can you prune? Look for whole projects that you're engaged in that just aren't going anywhere. They're not worth it or your engagement in that project is not paying off very well. It's maybe like just a big old what we call low-hanging fruit. Lop it off. Hand the project to someone else and get out of it completely. Hire someone else to do it. Delegate it to someone else. Just get out of it. Prune it out of your life. Here's the third area. I know. Prune social media. Maybe I could expand that. Prune screen time that's not work-related or not learning-related. You probably want to be the kind of leader who has about a 90-10 
education to entertainment ratio. We found that ratio to be true in practice among those really highly effective leaders that showed up in our 1201 study that I've referenced in some of our earlier podcasts. They have about a 90-10 education to entertainment ratio, and they have found ways to make their education entertaining. (laughs) So it doesn't even feel like it's a 90-10 education to entertainment ratio. So that's number three, prune social media. So if I have spent very much time on social media, at all. I feel like it's toxic to my soul. Oh, it is because it's really designed to make us compare ourselves to other people and to stay on there long periods of time. So you know that stuff, all right? Prune out the social media. You know where you watch social media the most. You know when you do it. So change that. Prune that out of your life. You will be amazed what will happen after that. That's the third idea. Here's the fourth idea. Get real about the later pile of things you've got in your life. Prune that right out. Maybe you've got a stack of magazines that you walk by and you still get magazines. I do too. I like holding a magazine once in a while. And you look at that, you put it in a stack. Oh yeah, I'm going to read that later. You're not going to read it later. It's going to be a foot and a half tall before you just throw it away. You're not going to read that later. Maybe you do that with newspapers. I subscribe to a couple of handheld newspapers, the digital ones as well for when I'm traveling. Wall Street Journal is an example of that that I subscribe to. And I will find that if I do not set aside 15 minutes in the morning to read the Wall Street Journal, I'll set it over on the corner of my desk, and when it starts to stack up, like two of them, ah, just throw it away. I'm not going to read it. The later pile is really a a sign of uh, pathological optimism. (laughs) Later, maybe emails. Oh, I'll get to those emails later. I'll I'll read that email later. No, you won't. If you're not going to do it now, or if it's not in your calendar under some of your shallow work kind of chunks of time, then you're not going to do it at all. You know what else you could do? Maybe you have a later pile of clothing or a later pile of boots or a later pile of hats. I don't know. Stuff that maybe I'll wear this later. No, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Simplify it. Prune it, especially if it takes up any space or any time in your life whatsoever. I once had a friend say, you know, if you have more than five of anything, you have a problem. (laughs) His name's John, and I got a real kick out of that. And I think he said that maybe four or five years ago, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Do I have more than five of anything? And I don't know if five is the magic number. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's 35. I don't know. But the point was that if you got a lot of anything... You probably don't need that much redundancy in your life because it's taking up time and space and energy. So prune it. Get it out of your life. I actually started to take that kind of seriously and found that I had more than five of some things that was a little silly for me to have. Motorcycles was one of them. So I pruned it back and now I've only got three. (laughs) Ah, All right. So that was the fourth idea. Get real about the later pile. Here's the fifth idea. Get real. Prune how you make decisions. What I mean by that is... Maybe you're making decisions that are not yours to make. Stop it. Maybe you make several decisions where only one decision will do. If you make a decision that under this circumstance, I'm always going to do this. Under that circumstance, I'm always going to do that. Make one decision that you don't have to make over and over and over and over again. Make one decision instead of several decisions. So prune out that making of many, many decisions. I'll let your mind wander about where that applies. Also, when it comes to decisions, maybe you have hard conversations that need to happen and you delay them and you think about them and you ruminate and you worry and and, and you talk to other people about these hard conversations without talking with the person that you need to have the hard conversation with. So delaying hard conversations is something you could prune out of your life. Also, maybe you could prune this out of your life, giving lots of time and energy to decisions that have little impact. You can think of what that is as well. Stop that. 
Don't spend much time. In fact, if you find yourself going over and over and over about decisions that really don't matter that much, like you're sitting in a restaurant and it's time for you to order and you still haven't figured out what you're going to order, you just, ah, you don't know what, come back to me, come back to me. And you're spending 11 or 12 or 15 minutes on that freaking menu trying to figure out what to order. Stop that. Prune that out of your life. It doesn't matter what you order at a restaurant. (laughs) Come on. And that's only one illustration of giving lots of time and energy to decisions that have little impact on the quality of your life or someone else's. Here's another way that you could prune around the theme of the way you make decisions. Stop worrying. Worry is just delaying decisions. You come up to the edge of decision and then you back off and you come up to the edge. Well, what if this? And then you back off. Well, what if that? And then back off. If you worry, it is making the same decision over and over and over and over and over. Decide and move on. All right. That's number five under what you can prune and how you can prune. Here's the sixth idea about how you can prune so as you can make more room in your life. Prune the habit of over-controlling. You know that if you start on something and you start to control it and control it and control it, the more out of control it gets, the more in control you try to be. Back off a little bit. You don't have to control very much. In fact, it's a myth if you think you can control very much. You know you are are responsible for and able to control really only three things in life. You can control your perspective on something. You can control whom you rely on, whom you trust. And you can control your behavior right here, right now. Outside of that, it's the further away from those three things you get, the less control you actually have. But it's interesting to me that we spend a lot of time trying to manipulate and control the world around us and other people around us. All right, that's number six. And here, ah, I I left this one, number seven, to the end because this one might be the most difficult one to actually prune out of your life, and that is people. There may be some people in your life who are wonderful human beings, but they drag you down, they distract, they don't make you better, and you have no influence over them either. Ah, Now, maybe they don't do that with other people, but they do that with you. Maybe you've invested in them a lot of the years with nothing. They don't grow. They don't want to change. Maybe they're a complainer or they are a negative, toxic downer of a person or they are an Eeyore. They might even be related to you in some way. But if they are people who are not good people, prune them out of your life. Easy to say, right? But if you prune one of those people out of your life, you got two or three, prune one of those out of your life then your life will be profoundly different and your effectiveness and your energy level, your creativity as a leader will go way, way up. So, all right, there's a few ideas about how you can prune things out of your life. And simply put, whenever something new comes along and it's a new idea or a new project or a new or some big new thing you want to add to your life or to your calendar, it's going to have a time and money and emotional impact on you. First, look at what you can prune. Don't add until you prune. Prune first. Take a pause, then maybe add later, maybe not. If you look at all of your life and feel like I can't prune anything out, and then you start adding to the top of it, wow, that is a recipe for disaster. So what happens after you cut? What should you do after you prune something out of your life? Well, don't fill in that spot right away. Live in that margin because the magic happens in the margin. That's harder than it sounds because you might be the kind of person who fills up every moment of every day of every week everything, every moment with something. And you can't really live with yourself very well if there's quiet, if there's silence, if there's space. It might be harder to do than than it sounds. 
But if you do it, if you refuse to fill in that spot that was pruned, you will end up creating a garden of creativity, a garden of insight, a garden of judgment that will shock you. (laughs) So after you cut, don't fill it in right away. So what are you going to stop doing? Just just stop it. What are you going to stop? What are you going to prune? Because if you want more impact, if you want more time, if you want more productivity, if you want more money, if you want more joy, more energy, more deep friendships, more wisdom. If you want that stuff, you can't add anything to your life to get that stuff until you've pruned. What are you going to stop doing? Something to think about. Thanks for taking a little bit of time to join me today. I am not going to stop drinking the rest of this Suntory whiskey. I'm not going to stop enjoying this cigar. I'm going to enjoy both of them. This is a little bit of a garden of opportunity for me right now because I've got nothing scheduled for the next hour and a half of my day. I'm going to sit back here in the studio and put my feet up, enjoy the rest of this Centauri and the rest of this Nica Libra cigar, and just enjoy the quiet. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.